The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. I've been a Lutheran all my life, but I was not raised to make the sign of the cross. I did not really see Lutherans making the sign of the cross other than a pastor, maybe not so much crossing himself, but crossing the congregation until probably I was in seminary. Now, there that was a, a, a pretty big missing item because had I looked in my small catechism, I would have found Martin Luther saying to begin and to end each day by making the sign of the cross. How far back does it go? Is it a Roman Catholic practice that Lutherans just didn't get rid of, or is it superstitious? Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about making the sign of the cross, Dr. John Bombaro. He's Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of a recent column titled, Very Superstitious, A History of the Sign of the Cross. John, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. It's a privilege to be with you again. You are joining us from India. What are you doing there? I'm down in Nagarkoil, where there is Concordia Theological Seminary, the seminary of a partner church, the India Evangelical Lutheran Church, where the oldest LCMS mission has taken place. And in our cooperative arrangement with them, we send over professors from time to time uh, to teach courses, uh, to keep diplomatic relations between the two respective church bodies warm and congenial. And so I've come to teach Lutheran homiletics over this month, and I'll be soon followed by my colleague at the Luther Academy in Riga, Bastia, Dr. Quentin Cundis, who will continue with teaching on Luther's writings. Turning to our subject how do you respond to those who object to the sign of the cross because it's Roman Catholic? Well, first I let them know that it has biblical origins and significance, and we can visit those relevant scriptures in just a bit. Then I'll explain to them that there is a great antiquity to the custom being clearly referenced by some of the earliest church fathers. And as such, signing the cross belongs to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It's a birthright. It's truly Catholic confession for all Christians is a possession that belongs to everyone within the Christian church. And then I might spend a moment or two debunking the ad hominem dismissal of the sign of the cross because it has a ready association in the West with the Church of Rome. And I would ask them something like, would they say the same thing about the Eastern Orthodox Church? Lutherans actually sign in the fashion of the Orthodox and not in the Roman Catholics and that this custom has been universally present in the Church, even through the time of the Reformation. What about the assertion that the sign of the cross is superstitious? I think it's important to be sensitive to the emotional import religious convictions that a person may have. So while in all likelihood an antipathy toward resisting the sign of the cross is probably due to some ignorance or a lack of training, Sometimes I find that among the Lutherans in India, for example, they just haven't been trained. But at other times, there truly is a superstition at play. 
I think it might be helpful to turn the tables on what actually constitutes a superstition. In this case, I think it would be helpful to see that for those of us who make the sign of the cross, which would be Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Anglicans, and others, or simply the vast majority of Christendom, that we do so without compulsion or an expectation that there is somehow a causal connection between signing the cross and some outcome. Indeed, there really is no superstition about it. So it seems to me that those who cannot or must not or indeed fear making the sign of the cross may actually be superstitious about what they perceive to be a superstition. So a resolution or a prohibition on making the sign of the cross because it's superstitious seems to me very superstitious. What does Scripture say about the cross as an icon or an image of the gospel? Well, I think that whatever fear or apprehension a person may have about signing the cross, it should be entirely assuaged because Jesus emptied the cross, the actual cross of its shame and terror, when he was crucified for us upon the tree of Golgotha. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus despised its shame and fully embraced it for us. Thus, Jesus transformed the cross, which the word crux back in Latin and was tantamount in Jesus' day, to an expletive. It was like a veritable curse word. It was the most vile and unspeakable, shameful horror. Jesus transforms that thing into an image most treasured, most beautiful, a very icon of the Holy Gospel itself, bringing to mind what St. Paul writes in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. St. Peter would say the same thing in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 24, who in his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. In fact, that very vile nature of the cross has been so entirely transformed by Jesus as to be fashioned into jewelry. Historically, it becomes another form, jewelry itself, of communicating in a dignified way that one belongs to Christ the crucified. And so to sign the cross is to recall or to announce the gospel of Jesus's victory for us over sin, over death, over the devil. And it's that meaningful for Christians. And that's why the custom is so ancient and so universal. Dr. John Bambaro is our guest. We're talking about making the sign of the cross. Speaking of universal, it is the practice of the vast majority of Christians on earth. What does it mean to them? Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. 
The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible Study and Sunday School at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about making the sign of the cross with Dr. John Bombaro, author of a recent column titled Very Superstitious, A History of the Sign of the Cross. John, for the vast majority of Christians who do this, what does the sign of the cross mean? I like that you said for the vast majority of Christians because it bespeaks of its universality or, or synonymously its Catholicity. Being of a tradition that purposely distanced itself from sign of the cross is out of step with not only the uniform practice of the church for the last 15 centuries, with its own variations, of course, but it also sets oneself in a minority position even today. But simply, the sign of the cross is a ritual hand motion, usually accompanied by the Trinitarian formula from Matthew chapter 28:19, in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So for us Lutherans, but also Anglicans, Orthodox, Roman Catholics, and other Christians, the motion symbolizes the cross of Calvary by tracing the shape of the cross in the air, which would be touching, as it were, the four points of the cross, or signing it upon one's own body. And so what it does is it brings to mind the fact that the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has been placed upon us when we were adopted into the Lord's family through holy baptism. And this, of course, is in perfect keeping what St. Paul says in Romans 6, 3 to 6, where he says that we're united to Christ's cross, his death, but also resurrection. And so there's a connection right there with us personally that we are crucified with Christ. So in these established traditions, including our own, the sign of the cross affirms the grace and the mercy of God on account of Christ and him crucified. What is the history, if you could walk us through the history of the sign of the cross from ancient times? Well, it's found very early in the Christian tradition, almost immediately after Christian origins. It was in general use 
even long before a cross or a crucifix itself was actually present during the Divine Liturgy or in the first church buildings, as far as scholars can tell. Although we do find images or likenesses of the crucified Christ etched in gems of jewelry or in graffiti form during the second century. Going back to, say, St. Cyprian, who's writing in the middle of the third century, and many other church fathers, they're witnesses to the use of the sign of the cross amongst their earliest generations of Christians. But it has a, a universality already in the late 100s. And some scholars believe that it was in use within living memory of the apostles themselves. Two people that we could turn to, well, actually three, one would be Tertullian, Hippolytus, but also Justin Martyr. Justin has lots of, of references to signing the cross, and he's writing right in the middle of the second century, only perhaps about 40 or 50 years removed from the death of St. John himself. Tertullian, for example, uh, writing at the end of the second century, testifies that, quote, at every step forward and movement, at every going in and going out, when we put on our clothes and shoes, when we bathe, when we sit at the table, when we light lamps on a couch or a seat, in all the ordinary actions of life, we trace upon the forehead the sign. Later, he goes on and he identifies the sign, specifically saying, we Christians wear out our foreheads with the sign of the cross. So here we have, in the late second century, in the 100s itself, the sign of the cross is already being used to mark Christians with the sign of the Lord. Every baptized Christian was marked with this sign, the sign of the Lord, which was itself the cross. So there's an immediate correlation between the crucifixion Jesus and the cross, all three brought together, and they can symbolize each other. So in the first centuries of Christianity, we see the sign of the cross was being traced by believers with a thumb or the finger over their forehead, but also sometimes over the breast. And it is connected with the baptismal rite in the first instance. So important was this sign that commenting on the baptismal rite in section 21 of the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus of Rome, writing about the year 215. It, he's preserving an even older tradition from within the 100s that he was afraid was going to fall in disuse or perhaps some kind of new innovation. And so he admonishes pastors to retain the seal of the sign of the cross on the foreheads of the newly baptized. All of which to say this, is that there is almost universality of referencing, uh, not to mention very specific application to baptism and the common custom of Christians signing the cross on themselves. Where do we find a basis for the sign of the cross in the Old Testament? Well, the biblical origins are significant. Of course, we want to be as biblical as possible. The prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 9, verse 4, he's commenting on the faithful, those who are devoted to the God of Israel, being marked with the sign of God. In that passage, he writes, And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. End quote. Now, I think that's really significant because St. John, who in the book of Revelation is going to talk about putting the mark on the forehead multiple times. 
he never really introduces anything new or nouveau. He's constantly reaching back to the Old Testament scriptures and making commentary in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So again, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we would ask ourselves prophetically, how does Jesus fulfill this passage when he himself gives us the hermeneutic that says, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he interprets them in all the scriptures, the thing concerning himself. There's also the Old Testament reference in Deuteronomy 21 that teaches that there was a divine curse placed upon anyone who was hanged upon a tree. And that's very famously quoted, of course, by St. Paul. Another passage that's really significant and evocative is Exodus 17, verses 9 to 14. And there the scriptures say, what the image we're supposed to have in our mind here is Moses is holding up, as it were, a crossbeam, his staff. And he's holding it above, as it were, stretched out above his head with his arms stretched out as if he's in a cruciform shape himself. So he's holding the staff, the rod, the piece of the tree, and taking upon himself, as it were, an image or a posture of Jesus Christ crucified to the text of Exodus 17, verses 9, and I'll read through verse 12. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So here the connection, the staff is immediately associated with God and the work of God. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went on top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. The scholars have a bit of debate as to whether or no Jesus was actually sitting on a seat, a small plank that upheld part of his torso and allowed a bit of rest would only, of course, extend the torture of the cross. But here is Moses sitting in the same posture. And in case one thought that maybe he's holding up one hand and then putting the staff into the other hand, verse 12 clearly shows that they're holding up his hands, one to either side, Moses, as it were, assuming a cruciform shape. So this too is seen historically by commentators and early commentators in the church as an image of Christ and him crucified or the sign of the cross. Where do we find it in the New Testament? We find it especially in Revelation. In chapter 7, verse 3, we hear St. John speaking about those who were sealed, the servants of God on their foreheads. Chapter 9, verse 4, those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads, again, reaching back to the Ezekiel 9 passage. Chapter 14 and verse 1, the name of God on their foreheads. Of course, the name of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for these first generations of Christians, it was, it was particularly important that these Revelation texts be understood as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and in light of St. Paul's Romans 6 soteriology, connected, of course, with baptism. And so three things are all brought together by St. Paul in Romans 6. First, the crucifixion, 
secondly, the name of God, and three, baptism, and all of these things are found in one sign. What sign is that? The Holy Cross, which connects the believer to Christ the crucified and brings about the association of being crucified with Christ. So to sign the cross, then, was to confess the blood of Christ in the atonement, in the new covenant, and in the font. We're talking about the blood in the font into which they were baptized. And so it says, just as St. Paul declares in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. There are other biblical passages, too. We have 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. There's another more extended passage in Revelation 7. We could have gone and read verses 2 to 4 and not just verse 3. So the important thing to remember here is that St. John wrote in Revelation of those who have the sign of God in their foreheads, standing in distinction from those who have the sign of the beast in their foreheads. What is the line of demarcation between believers and unbelievers? Holy baptism. The baptized in Christ have been marked with the name of God upon their foreheads, have been immersed into the blood of Jesus, and that sets them in contradistinction to those who are not so marked. We recall that um, when we undergo the sacrament of holy baptism, or if we witness it in our Lutheran tradition, the priest seals or signs the forehead and the heart, saying, receive the sign of the holy cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Significantly, in the Lutheran service book, in this baptismal rite, it actually provides the indication where the priest, the Lutheran pastor, is to be making the sign of the cross physically upon the child or the adult. So what we do today in the Lutheran service book was already being done long ago by St. John of Damascus, who says the exact same thing. So crossing oneself thus recalls this seal, this sign, and confesses that we belong to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we have been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. Is that why you call the sign of the cross a mini-creed? Yeah, that's exactly why. It is proclamatory. You know, the first time it dawned on me that signing the cross was in fact a mini-creed was watching two boys on the island of Kauai heading out into heavy surf on their bodyboards. And I don't think they're any older than 13 or 14. They walked up next to me as I was on the beach, and they set their bodyboards down. They dipped their fingers into the ocean, made the sign of the cross. They uttered a kind of hushed prayer, very brief, and then joyously leaped into the water and paddled out into truly dangerous conditions. And later, when we all came into shore, I asked them if they were Christians, and they said yes. You see, it was the sign of the cross that rendered the disclosure that I was talking to the baptized. We were of the same creed, the Apostles' Creed, the one used during the sacrament of holy baptism. And the very event in which the sign of the cross is imposed upon our foreheads and our hearts were being recalled by them. And I asked them, I said, why do you make the sign of the cross? And they responded, because we are Christians. We were remembering that we belong to Jesus, should we live or should we die? And so that struck me profoundly, that it is that line of demarcation between those who belong to Christ and those who as yet do not. And what is more, the, the use of water in making the sign, like when you enter a, a church or a chapel and there's a font there or a place for us to 
dip our hands or even when the pastor may be using the aspergillium and sprinkling the water with the aspasurium, aspergating the people of God is powerfully meant to recall the event of our baptism and so the blood of the covenant, evocative of, of course, Exodus and then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, which bespeaks of the blood of the covenant, Jesus's blood. But it should also bring to mind that we were born again of water and the spirit. And that's what these boys were signifying there. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing Making the Sign of the Cross with Dr. John Bombaro. Dr. John Bombaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and author of a recent column titled Very Superstitious, A History of the Sign of the Cross. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Find out more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We'll talk about the side of the cross and Martin Luther's use of it next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Sacramental, historical, liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com. Have you ever wished you could see Ad Crusum's products before buying them? Well, you can. Come visit us at our workshop in Littleton, Colorado, and watch how we make our Christmas ornaments and print our icons. Check out the quality and fabric of our church banners, or choose some greeting cards, posters, or jewellery. Of course, if you can't make it to Colorado, we're always open online. For details and directions, visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Talking about making the sign of the cross, Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. 
How did 16th century reformer Martin Luther regard the sign of the cross, John? Remarkably conservatively. Luther was the catalyst for the conservative Reformation. There were things that were conserved. He didn't have a superstitious view about signing the cross. He saw it as confessional, as a mini creed. And so this is why Luther did not abolish the cross. But he, he endeavored to appropriate its use at significant occasions like holy baptism, during holy communion, affirming the creed at the benediction at the end of Mass. So Luther was concerned to retain this meaningful act of worship, and not only meaningful, but one that was transgenerational. Everyone can do it. Even a one-year-old can do it, and our most senior members. So there's something dignified and uniform about being able to make the sign of the cross. So Luther consciously preserved nearly all of the liturgical and devotional uses of the sign of the cross. And so he purposed to see it also remembered by children. And so it was supposed to be a dignified externalization or participation in their own remembrance of baptism. And that's why he writes in the small catechism, when you wake up in the morning, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And so too, in the evening, when you go to bed, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say. So for Luther, it's creedal. It's confessional, and it reaches right back to where we are justified by God's grace on account of the work of Christ when we are baptized and God announces that indeed we are forgiven, where he justifies sinners and also regenerates our souls. How would you teach someone to make the sign of the cross? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, I do encourage seminarians, for example, to practice it, to do it in front of the mirror so they feel comfortable, like any kind of posture that is taught. At first, it's awkward and uncomfortable until it becomes second nature. So what you do is you open the right hand because the right hand is the hand of blessing. You open the right hand with the palm facing toward you, and then you engage in the motion. You touch the hand, usually the first three fingers moving from the thumb to index finger and then one middle finger pinching them together and then moving from the forehead to the sternum and then both shoulders. It doesn't matter if you go from right to left, which is still the custom in the Eastern Orthodox Church and what we do in Lutheranism, or if you go from left to right, which is the custom in the Roman Catholic Church and that you would find also among Anglicans and Episcopalians. So as one moves through the sign, there aren't superfluous movements. One goes from vertically down and then horizontally across, and it is done. Any other movements are considered superfluous and unnecessary. So when you touch the forehead, you say, in the name of the Father, the breast, or your sternum, you say, and of the sun, right shoulder, and of the Holy Spirit moving to the left. And all the while, one is meant to recall the victory of Christ on Golgotha, in which he made a blood atonement for our souls, and the name into which we have been baptized, baptized in the water with the word, in which the word is Christ, and his blood is there washing away our sins. Finally, why is it important to remember that this rite isn't an end in itself? Yes, because it's about faith in Christ our Savior. Faith is what the person who 
is truly worthy to receive Holy Communion, Luther says, is the person who has faith in these words given and shed for you. So our faith is really about a focusing on Jesus Christ. And what this is, is just a historical, quite biblically informed, quite biblically meaningful, ancient practice of the church that helps us recall exactly what Jesus did to us. It brings us right to the most basic confession of the cross, the very thing that we proclaim that St. Paul said he would know nothing else among us except for Christ and him crucified. This is an act that allows us to do so and externalize it in a creedal way, allowing ourselves to be identified as Christians to our other brothers and sisters as well. So crossing oneself is good public witness as well as good food for the soul, but we feed on Jesus Christ by faith, and then we also feed on him truly in Holy Communion and as we remember our baptism. Dr. John Bombaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. He's author of a recent column titled Very Superstitious, A History of the Sign of the Cross. You can read it on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. John, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity, Todd. Thank you. Our series, Responding to Roman Catholic Proof Text, continues after the break with Dr. Stephen Parks of Concordia University, Irvine, California. We'll talk about proof texting early church fathers. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry lcms.org slash deaconess. Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio is a downtown church with members from over 40 cities around Columbus. Our attendees receive God's gifts in word and sacrament through the use of the historic liturgy, lectionary, and hymns. The Divine Service with Communion is celebrated every Sunday at 8 and 1030 and also Wednesdays at 7. Learn more at zionlcms.org. That's zionlcms.org. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is coming soon, and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life. From Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023, go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and for Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc., I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. 
Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men to be those proclaimers, to be those men who who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu.